Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast associated with the Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusswater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bottler. I'm the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal as well. And I will be your host today for Talk Plus Water. This is podcast number eight. My guest today is Dr. Rosario Sanchez Flores, who is a senior research scientist and associate graduate graduate faculty member at Texas A&M University's Texas Water Resources Institute. She's the principal investigator of the Transboundary Aquifer Assessment Act program funded by the U.S. Geological Survey. Her work is to integrate, develop, create, research uh, data on transboundary aquifers between Mexico and the United States, particularly Texas. She has 15 years of academic and work experience on transboundary issues between Mexico and the U.S., and she's been working and publishing on transboundary water issues at the international and binational level since 2006. And she is now working on models for cooperation and management of transboundary aquifers between Mexico and the U.S. Welcome, Rosario, and thank you for being part of Talk Plus Water. Thank you, Todd, for the invitation, and good morning. Good morning to you. So let's start out with your background and how, also how you first became involved with water issues. My background is uh, broad and diverse. I did my undergrad in international relations and then I did my master's in diplomatic studies. So I worked for a couple of years for the Foreign Service, Mexico Foreign Service in the U.S. So I used to work with immigration issues between Mexico and the U.S. back in the, back in the days. And then I went back to Mexico for a couple of years, and that was 1994, and if you remember, 1994 drought, and there was a big issue between Mexico and Texas regarding the Mexico deliveries of the Rio Grande, because there was not enough water in the Amsterdam. So I was working for the state government of Coahuila, which was you know, the, the, the state that is responsible for for holding that those those waters, even though they're federal waters, the dam is located on the state of Coahuila. And I was working for the governor back then in the Foreign Affairs Office and the governor then decided to close the dam because we didn't have enough water in the state. So it became a big issue. Uh, political issue, binational issue, and then, you know, a hurricane came and we're friends again, right? <laughs> so, so that was, that was the moment that I became interested in water, and particularly binational waters or transboundary waters. I, I became involved in that. And later on, you know, I guess it was a lucky shot, uh, those kind of, uh, of events that happen in your life that you end up doing something that you don't know how it happened. So I ended up at Texas A&M doing my PhD on water and, and and that's how I, you know, I became involved in water, but still I'm using my, I guess my binational knowledge between Mexico and the U.S., but now focus in, in water. So that's why I, I love transboundary issues and I love transboundary issues related to water now and that's how it all started and then and, and now I can't get out of it <laughs> once you're there you just can't get out of right. it right right well that is really interesting to me because you uh, you know are somebody who's got a perspective from Mexico's side of that issue you know I heard of course non-stop about uh, you know the water debt um, as I think it was being called, but it was from, you know, people in Texas water and, 
representing the U.S. side. And so I never really heard a whole lot from uh, anyone in Mexico about about their you know their uh, opinion on how the, the treaty was being implemented or, or, or not being implemented. Yeah, when you know when there's drought, everybody wants the water, right? Right. Regardless of the treaty, regardless of the obligations. So if you need water and water is crossing your land and you know that water is committed to the U.S. and you need water, you're gonna grab it. Uh, regardless of you know the federal government or the treaty or whatever, and that's that's what happened actually. I mean, the the, the ejido uh, on the on the Mexico side was in need of water as well, just as the Texan side. I mean, we all need water, right? Mm-hmm. So and and when you are in need of a great need of that water, and, and your authorities are saying, you know, you can't take that water because that's committed to Texas. Well, I mean, it's like. What the hell? I mean, that's my water. It's here. It's in my land. I mean, it's in Mexico. I'm going to get it. So that's that's what happened in, in those days. And, and, and it got really rough between domestically, between in, in Mexico. And it was really, you know, it was rough between Mexico and Texas. But it was hard for Mexico, too, because uh, the priorities, I mean, people starting to think like, okay, you are a traitor to our country, why are you giving this water to Texas, uh, who cares about the treaty, who cares about the obligation, I mean, care about your people first, I mean, where is your priority, you know, all those questions that you, you know, that they are valid at some point, but at the same time, I mean, there's a law that you have to follow, so it was rough back in the days, and, and luckily for, I guess, for everyone, uh, we had the big hurricane. Uh, they came in, and and, and 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 that was it, right? Right, right. And that was solved. And, but that issue, and, and you you know that every five years, every five years, you you, you hear if you have a drought and you don't have enough water in, in the international reservoirs, and you start hearing people complaining that Mexico is not paying, that you know all the things. And we all are hoping, we are all crossing fingers for a hurricane to come. And then there's a big hurricane, hurricane, bigger than you actually need, and then there's flooding, and then there's all that. So right. It's a cycle. It's a cycle of good, bad relationships. It's a cycle of, 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 of the water crisis. Goes up, goes down, goes up. But that's, that's the way it has been since the climate is kind of not helping, I guess, uh, to get more water in the river. Because we don't have more water in the river, and we're not going to have more water in the river in the future. So, I mean, that's where groundwater comes in. Right, right. So, I want to get to that next, but you just want to, you know, kind of point out that, uh, you know, that same scenario exists between New Mexico and Texas and and yeah. uh, Georgia and Florida and states sharing the Colorado River before it shared with Mexico. And uh, it's not all that different. I mean, the public in one state uh, sees the water there may be a compact with the neighboring state, uh, but you get in a drought, and it's it's hard for them to really think of the fact that hey, that water may be committed to somebody else, and you got to let it go. It's just a tough. Exactly. Thing. I mean, that those issues are the same as you said, domestically and internationally. Uh, and, and here in the U.S., the difference with Mexico, Mexico, the waters are, are federal ownership. They're owned by the federal government. So states really don't have a much to say, states, cities, counties, or parallel counties in the Mexico side. They don't say much. Uh, it's all federal uh, management. In the U.S., it's different because we each state has its own way to manage water, right? They, they own right. their own waters. So it's kind of different countries within the same country. So it's, it's so if you think about if you think about that, and, and you're in Mexico, if you want to negotiate transboundary waters, you have to negotiate with Texas, with Arizona, with California, with New Mexico, and with the United States right. at the same time. So they're different, separate countries in a way, and and, and it's you know it's it's challenging to think about. You know, 
the treaty that we have over over the Rio Grande and, and the Colorado River and the Tijuana River, I mean, it's surface water. Right, right. And, 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 and I think it was a big deal back in the old days. I don't know how those guys actually were able to manage to get together and agree in something because it, it's been successful. It has its limitations, of course, but it's been successful in terms of management of surface water. But then there's nothing on groundwater. Nothing. Uh, not even an indication that we should consider that. Uh, so that, that, that's the big, uh, that's becoming uh, more and more a big issue between the two countries. Because, it, 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 you know, surface water is just what it is, and we're not going to get more of it. And it's already allocated, over allocated. And population, it's increasing uh, dramatically, especially in Texas and in the border region. Over the next 20 years, it's going to duplicate. So, where is the water going to come from? It's not going to come from surface water. It's going to be more expensive to get uh, surface water uh, because it's going to be treated. You have to invest more on desalination. You have to invest more on water treatment. You have to invest more on conservation. But the real, real big sources of water are going to come from groundwater. And, and, and those aquifers are shared as well as surface water is shared. Right. But, the, but, but, you know... Uh, the difference is that we don't have anything there to manage groundwater, share groundwater resources. So, so we, I think it's a big issue. It's a huge challenge for both countries and and in among states as well, and, and even counties, even groundwater conservation districts. Uh, if we talk about just Texas, right? Right. I mean, they are the ones that actually make the decisions. They are the ones that actually control their wells. So, if you want to deal with transboundary groundwater resources, you have to go down locally, very, very locally, to actually the owners of the wells. And then, you know, from there, start going a little bit regional, and then probably state. I don't know if we are going to need to get into, into by national, federal level, but we definitely need to get the locals involved. And that's big, a big, big difference compared to surface water. So, to go back to your... Um, your initial foray into water, um, you were in surface water and you started looking at international water issues and here's the United States and, and some states, the, the, the state owns surface and groundwater and then you've got Texas where the state owns the surface water but, but groundwater is private property and you looked all that and you and you said, hey, I'm going to get it. This surface water stuff's too easy. I'm going to get into this groundwater stuff. It's a lot harder and a lot more complicated. And, and so I, 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 it's fascinating to me that you, you switch from surface water to groundwater. Um, and the, uh, you know, there's there was so little known about those aquifers, those transboundary aquifers. And, and uh, now you become the person who is... Uh, you know, providing uh, a substantial amount of the information that's available. Yes, uh, and if you ask me why or how, <laughs> what made me move into this hole? <laughs> because it's a black hole. It's a real black hole here. Right. Uh, of of, of transboundary groundwater resources. I I honestly do not know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I guess it all started when I realized that it was everything that we had between the two countries is surface water. And I said, well, what about groundwater? Let me start looking into it. And a couple of colleagues, you know, asked me about that, like, like, hey, what do you know about this stuff? And I said, well, I, I don't know much. Let me get into it and I'll get back to you. So when I started getting into it, I figured, I mean, I, I found out that there was nothing in, in there. And then not, not even in Mexico, not in the U.S., not in Texas, not in any border state. And, and, uh, and I get back to, to, to Gabriel Exton, my colleague, my co-author as well. And I said, because we wanted to work on, on management. And I said, well, let's, and, and I was working on an aquifer in the Laguna region in Mexico when I was, when I was 
to do my, my PhD. So I was also, I was, I have all, always been interested in groundwater because, uh, you know, it's, it's more challenging than surface water. It's not to say that surface water is solved, of course not, but it's, I mean, you, you can see it, right? Right. Groundwater, you just can't see it. I mean, everything is, is simulation. Everything is 95% confidence. And there's always that 5% that, you know, it might, it might not. It might go over, it might flow, it might not flow. So that's why I became interested. But then when it comes to transparent water resources, I said uh, to my colleagues, you know what? There's no way we can even talk about management of groundwater resources in the border because we don't even know how many aquifers are there. We don't even know what's the condition of the aquifers. Uh, we don't know where are they located. We don't. We don't. We don't know anything about that. We we know some about a couple of points, and and we don't even know enough of those points. But we know some of those. So I had to go back and 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 and, and you know I don't know why. But I, I seem to be the only one that is interested in transboundary groundwater resources. It's bilingual and have access to data on the Mexico side. I don't know why, but that, that seems to be the history of my, my career. <laughs> I don't know if it's, a, if, if it's meant to be that way. But that's how I found out because I started looking for colleagues doing this kind of research on the Mexico side, and I didn't find many. It's like, uh, so so your maps go all the way to Texas? No, they all just go to the Mexico border. And, and on the U.S. side, does your maps go all the way to Mexico? Do they cross the, the, the boundary? No, they all stop at the border. I said, okay, who has done some maps? Actually, right. just mapping across. And there was nothing. Right, right. And, and then I went back. I said, oh, so what's the problem? Why we haven't done that? Well, there's no data. There's no similar criteria. The, the, the data on the Mexico side, well, is in Spanish. And, and sometimes it's not complete. And we have to go back to literature of the 1960s. And nobody understands the, the, the Spanish uh, uh, publications on those days. And on the Mexico, on the, on the Texas side, well, I mean, we, we can go to the Mexico side because we are a state institution, so we have to go through CELA. Uh, so, you know, all those kind of small details that you think that we are, we should be able to, to, to have we should be able to overcome those challenges because, I mean, we're on the border, right? right? We're in Texas, right? We're just five hours away. I mean, how come nobody has been looking into this at this level of detail? So I guess, okay, somebody has to do this job. Right. <laughs> That's why I can't get out of it. Well, so I... It, it, it was hard. It has been hard. Well, I recall in the 90s when I was working, first started working on the Edwards Oxford issues, you know, the, the maps that we were given uh, showing where the Oxford was, you know, it was cut off at the border with Mexico. Exactly. And we were like, well, what, okay, is, are there wells over there? Or I mean, is, it, is that going to impact what's going on as far east as Kamal and San Marcos Springs, like Wells and Uvalde and Medina County do. Um, and so, you know, there was just no information. And then I think back to, uh, you know, 15 years ago, it seems like, or maybe less, that with brackish groundwater, you know, there was so little information about that. Uh, in Texas, I mean, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, questions coming up for groundwater districts when when there was the first interest in tapping brackish groundwater to desalinate it. You know, some of the groundwater districts saying, "Well, I don't know. Do we actually regulate that? We regulate the software, but we actually regulate the brackish part as well as the freshwater part." And and so, you know. Once uh, brackish groundwater uh, was identified as a future source of water, now all the information is coming. And so I'm kind of wondering a little bit, is that similar with transboundary aquifers? You know, there's more interest now in part because they're starting to be seen as future supplies of water or their existing supplies that, that now we're concerned about their sustainability. Yeah, both. 
I would say both reasons because they are future or current sources of water because they're pumping water from those aquifers, believe me. The thing is that we don't know how much, right? Uh, I mean, we don't know how much at a transboundary level or the impact of those of, of those abstraction at transboundary level. And, 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 and in terms of just not just water, quantitative water quality as well. There are some regions in the border that, you know, there are not enough, not huge population centers, uh, very limited extraction, but still they have important sources of water, good quality of water. So those are the points that are actually uh, the ones that are exploring. The city of El Paso, for example, they are already, and they've been doing this for, I, I guess, the last 10 years because, you know, they've been planning ahead and they are, you know, they've been facing with the huge challenge of the depletion of the Weberholt song and, and the desalination there. And it's been huge and the quality of water, I mean, they've been facing a crisis of groundwater there because they're, now they're not, but they were 100% dependable on that aquifer. But they've been investing on, on a lot of, of, you know, technology and conservation and all that. But one of the alternatives and one of the strategies they're using, they are, they are good enough sources of groundwater in the border in West Texas, on, on, on you know, close to Presidio, uh, Presidio Bolson, uh, the Green River Bolson, those areas there, they have very, you know, small communities that are really not using that much of groundwater. So they're big sources of, of groundwater, and they are, I'm talking about 200, 300 miles away from El Paso, and, and they are already investing on getting that water, groundwater from, from that area to the city of El Paso for future, for, for future supply. So I, I guess that's uh, that's one of the reasons why transboundary groundwater resources are becoming more, more and more. Um, you know, in the agenda, because there's the need for it, the future need, current need, and and the fact that it's transboundary. So there's nothing legally governing um, that that aspect uh, of the resource on both sides of the border. And the same goes, you know, the same is true on the Mexico side. Uh, El Juarez is, you know, they are facing a huge problem there and they are actually exporting uh, uh, groundwater from the Conejos Medanos, the, the joint, the, the neighbor aquifer, to, to the city of, of Juarez. So more and more interest because, you know, we don't have more surface water that we can think of and we don't have probably not enough money to diesel um, or to treat uh, water, surface water. So the easiest way is to keep pumping on, on those areas that has not been, that are not regulated. And, you know, the Mexican, the Mexican law, the federal law on groundwater, up until today, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing news from the new government, but up until today, there are only two articles on the on the federal law that address groundwater. So, in terms of management, which are really big, and nothing on transboundary groundwater resources. So, you know, and, 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 and everybody that lives close to the border, that that region is unique. I mean, it's nothing as the rest of the U.S. and it's nothing as the rest of Mexico. It's a whole country on its own, and 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 it deserves and needs a special attention because they have their own logic, they have their own relationship, they have their own way to understand how the system, how the economic and social and political system works, and and the water needs as well. So. The, the, I hope that in the near future, hopefully, Texas and the border states in the U.S. and Mexico, now that has a new government, realize that and it needs really a huge, much more attention to the way the, the groundwater resources are being used. I mean, because they're not managed, they're just used for whatever reason. Right, right. For purpose, yes. So... You know, kind of coming back to Texas, <clears throat> one of the one of the issues early on that brought a lot of attention to overdrafting aquifers was the 
impact of uh, groundwater pumping on springs and the impact that had on surface water. Uh, is there, are there impacts like that uh, from the use of these transboundary aquifers that, that you are, or anybody else is seeing in Mexico? Well, yeah, on that, um, particularly in some aquifers that we have been able to notice it, the Edwards aquifer, for example, uh, you know, it's a transboundary aquifer, even though uh, some of my Texas friends doesn't like to hear that, or, yeah, they don't, doesn't like to hear that the Edwards has been, you know, it's pumped on Mexico's. When they hear that, they become very nervous, like, what do you mean? Why are they being, uh, what is it pumping in Mexico's side? Is the Edwards already aware of that? And I said, well, it's a transboundary aquifer. Yes, it's been pumped by Mexicans on the Mexico side, and you don't know how much. So, the Edwards has been fed, uh, and there's research, some research. It's, been, it's really, really uh, premature to talk about this because we're working on this as, as we speak. But there are a lot of natural springs on the Mexico side that actually feeds the Edwards aquifer on the Mexico side. We don't know how much that is really connected to the U.S. or how much that actually impacts uh, groundwater flows in the U.S., but it's definitely fed by natural springs on the Mexico side. The Allende Piedras Negras, transboundary aquifer that is not being recognized as transboundary yet officially by the two countries. We have been, we have found we have we are working on publishing that right now that it is actually transboundary groundwater flows from one side to the other uh, given a, a specific extraction rate and it's used mostly on the Mexico side and it's fed mostly by natural springs on the Mexico side. So I don't know if you heard, lately there's been a it's over the news that the new uh, the beer cup big. Constellation Brands Company, you know, it's planning, they have a plant, huge plant there in, in, in Piedras Negras, which is the, the border city of uh, Eagle Pass, mm -hmm. where the, the Piedras Negras aquifer is located. They pump huge amounts of water, uh, and, and they use uh, natural springs uh, and artisan uh, wells on the Mexico side to, you know, for, you know, beer production, of course. But there's a lot of irrigation as well. They use natural springs for this. Now, it's not about who uses the water or who's pumping more water. The fact is, the problem is, that those natural springs are part of those of the, of the, of the Escondido River and San Rodrigo River that they fed into those streams, that a portion of those streams is actually committed to the Rio Grande River, paid for the 1994 treaty. So, and nobody is actually regulating that. So it is assumed that the Escondido River and San Rodrigo River are gonna fed a proportion of water to the Rio Grande River because that's committed to, part of it is committed to the U.S. side, but nobody's actually looking at how much water is being pumped that has an impact on those springs that are supposed to fed the San Rodrigo and Escondido River that are sending water to the Rio Grande that, you know, to fulfill the obligations of the 1994 treaty. So, you know, it, surface and groundwater are connected, whether we like it or not. And, and whether we manage it that way or not, they are connected and are, uh, and are you know, uh, impacting the, the, the system, the cycle. And eventually it's going to get political and economical and social implications. Because, uh, you know, beers, uh, they're not going to stop pumping because we say so I mean there's nothing that uh, they're not being they're not doing anything illegal it's under the law it's been protected by law so why would they stop and and now in the news is uh, if, I don't know if you're familiar with Mina 242 which is uh, 
it's an amendment to the treaty. The 1944 yeah, treaty. Yes, 1944. Minute 242 of the IBWC SILA states limiting extractions of the only aquifer between Mexico and Texas, I mean, between Mexico and the U.S., which is the Yuma Aquifer, between Sonora and Arizona, and part of California, actually. So that is the only aquifer that has some extraction limitations agreed by both countries. Uh, you know, but it, this was in 1970s, and it was related to the salinization of, of the Rio Grande, I mean, I mean the Rio Colorado uh, deliveries to Mexico, and it was a big deal back in the days. But it led to this mid-242, so you're not supposed to pump on eight miles on each side of the river, because that has, you know, some impact on groundwater of that region. So... It's been announced lately that Constellation Brands Company is going to put a new plant exactly on the Mexicali Valley, which is going to have, that's what people say, it hasn't been proved, a great impact on, on the Yuma Aquifer in that region. But they're not locating, they are not locating the, the new um the new plant within those eight kilometer, you know, perimeter of, of, of protected area. But still, the level of extraction could have an impact on the aquifer. So, uh, you know, you start hearing those 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 things and, 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 and people start asking you, is it connected or not? Is it going to be impacted or not? And we don't have enough data to say yes or no. And, and, and there's no way we can we can provide enough confidence because we are you know and you know we we've been studying this aquifers for the last what we started publishing the first publication was in 2016 and and and, and, it's, and it's a huge responsibility for us to say something like it, it's going to have an impact but we don't know we don't know if it's going to have an impact now because we don't have enough data. Not from the Sonora side, not from the Mexico side to prove that. And with that, there's an additional problem. The secrecy of data, trust, and confidence in the data. So let's say, okay, I have the data that you need. And then you look at the data. How trustful that data is? It depends where it comes from. It depends who did the data. It depends if if it's enough. I mean, are you giving me everything that you have, or are you just giving me the the, the part that you think that is is not going to put you at risk? Because this becomes political at the end, and it's sensitive, very very sensitive. Don't ask me why it has become that sensitive between the two countries. I think it has it has a lot to do that we don't know much, and they don't even know much. So when, we, when you don't know what's going on, I, I think it becomes, a, you know, you start feeling scared about what you don't know. And, 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 and to invest, and it's not easy, you know, groundwater, get data on groundwater, it's not easy. You have to go back and you have to start drilling holes, new holes, because the law is not forcing you to get the, like, the borehole data, it's not required by law. And in the Texas side, it is required does it and sometimes it's a reading sometimes you don't understand it so the quality of the data is an issue the trust uh, uh, between the two countries related to the data that is being shared it's a huge huge issue I think it's the biggest issue if you ask me what is the biggest challenge that we have data sharing whatever data we have good or bad quality we don't trust in each other's data and we don't trust in, in each other just to give you the data that I have. I mean, why do you need that data? What are you going to do with that data? How are you going to use that data? I don't want to tell you exactly how much water I have here because you might like it or you might not like it. Or I don't want to tell you what are my contamination risks on this side if I have them, of course, because you might think that I'm doing something wrong or you're going to, you know, we don't want to have conflict. So let's not talk about this. That's the way I define groundwater resources in the border. Okay. Let's not just talk about this that easily because we don't really know what's going on there. And do we want to know? That is the question. Do we want to know? And, and, and I say we are 
in the line of what scarcity is driving and is pushing to know, right? And eventually we need to get there, but I don't know how fast and I don't know exactly what it needs to be done, uh, what political will or leadership you need to get that done soon. Sooner, you know, better than later. Right, right. So I want to go back and uh, uh, go through a couple of things uh, quickly. So IBWC, International Boundary and Waters Commission, because uh, not everybody listening will know what that is. And CELA is uh, Mexico's environmental agency. That's correct? No, CELA is the Mexican section of the IBWC. Okay. So the IB, the International Water the International Boundary and Water Commission it has two sections the US side and the Mexico side but the, the in the Mexico side is called CELA Comisión Internacional de Límites y Aguas and in the US side is called IBWC which is International Boundary and Water Commission but they they work together they're the same agency Gotcha gotcha and Constellation Brands that's a is that a, uh, a conglomerate, international beer maker that makes it a lot of beers? Yes, it is an international conglomerate of beer, big beer producer. Okay. I don't have anything against beer. <laughs> <laughs> we all love beer that's right, that's right. not every beer uh, there's some beers I don't like too much but, um, okay so uh, you mentioned uh, the 44 treaty between the United States and Mexico um, so there's nothing in that treaty or is there something in that treaty that directly or indirectly um, you know, provides a mechanism to to manage transboundary offers. No, there is not. But you know, this is this. There are a lot of things that are not addressed by the treaty, and still we have been able to, you know, to address them in some way. IBWC has been able to do that because they are the institution in charge of you know making management of surface water in the river. There's nothing on groundwater in the treaties. There's nothing on quality of water. It'll be a, you know, de facto addressed by IBWC and SILA. Gotcha. gotcha. Blah, 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 blah. And, and MINA 242 was the first and, and, and more recently um Mina 226, if I'm not mistaken, 226, 227, which are related to uh, Rio Colorado and, and the pool's uh, strategy to deliver water to the, the Rio Colorado Delta on the Mexico side. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Those two minutes pretty recent, uh, three, four years ago, addressed indirectly impacts on groundwater. But those impacts on groundwater had to be necessarily direct, uh, directly related to surface water. Improvement on surface water and environmental. You know, what I have been able to find out is everything that we have that indirectly relates to somehow groundwater or attention to groundwater has to do with With environmental concerns. Surface water. You have to prove when it is connected to surface water. I don't know what they mean. Why it's connected. Uh, But you have to prove in some way that that has an impact on the quality or quality or quantity of surface water and at the same time has an impact on environment and ecosystem protection. That's the way it happened in, in, in the delta of the Rio Colorado. That's how that that relationship to groundwater was able to get there. Because it's relationship with surface water and and, and ecosystem uh, preservation. And in Mina 242, it was uh, was in the 70s, was directly related to the quality 
of surface water that was being delivered to the Mexico side. So historically, we need to look for ways to get groundwater, uh, to get people interested in groundwater if we are able to prove its impacts to quality and quantity of surface water and environmental concerns. Historically, that has been the way. But 1944 treaty does not address that. We two, two, three, Yeah, Rosario, I'm starting to lose you. Uh, hello? Can you yeah, hear me there? I hear you now. Okay. Uh, I don't know what happened. I haven't moved, I promise. Uh, so, anyway, minute 242, minute 326 and 29, 27 and... All the way to 29, actually, 26 through 29, they address at some point very little, like very shy, in a very shy way, groundwater. But that's basically it. That's all that we have. And in terms, you know, you talked about data uh, earlier. I mean, it does. I mean, is there data? These are these are these wells. I'm assuming are not metered. Uh, that we're talking about in Mexico, and so does anyone actually have any data, or is it is it like, for example, with the Edwards Aquifer, um, you know, people were using records of how much electricity they were using to say, well, you know, we are running our groundwater pump, and you know, that's you know how we calculated how much we were we were pumping. Yes. On the Mexico side, well, uh, what I can tell you is a centralized system. So if you ask me if groundwater is being metered on the Mexico side as a whole, 50% of the groundwater is actually being reported to be extracted. The other 50%, regardless of the border, regardless if the wells are located on the border or not, is not metered. So when it comes to the water in, in the border, so you, you can imagine it's far away from Mexico City. Yeah. They, and, and, and Konawa is just not enough, right? Uh, they need to have like, I don't know, 500,000 people to be able to go through the country and, you know, visit all the wells and check how actually people are if they are actually metering their, the groundwater that's being extracted. So it's not possible. It's a centralized system, it's inefficient by definition. So we cannot expect that. So uh, what what we have right now, that's why I, I mentioned the, the issue of data, is, is the available data that we're, we're able to get is from private industries because they know their wealth. And, and and they know and they have good quality of water because their business depends on that, right? So they do have good quality of water. But you have to go well by well. And who owns this well? And let's see if, because it's private it's private property. I mean it's not private property, but they, they, they have the rights and they are not obligated to share that data. They're private, right? Right. So you have to go talk to them and convince them some way. I mean, that's the dirty job that I have been able, or I have been trying to do <laughs> on, on the Mexico side to get that data. And sometimes those wells are located in places that you don't want to go, right? Especially yeah. these days. Uh, it's not very secure. The border is not a secure region. It's never been, it never will be, I don't think so. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a double risk there. But you have, I mean, there are some regions that you are able to talk to people. They are, you know, perceptive. They are interested as well. What's going on at the, you know, what's going on at this aquifer? Like, and they are interested in, in what's going on on the other side as well. Because, you know, I want to know what's, you know, what people, what you people are doing on the other side. How much water are they actually extracting? Blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And... And yes, we have been able to locate those electric logs that you mentioned, and, and, and I have a good team of people that helps me, you know, translate what that actually means, geologically speaking, and, and, and we have been able to collect some of that data, and we are working on building our own data set. 
because we just definitely I mean there's data all over and, and I mean it's not enough data of course but the data that we have is so diverse and sparse around and you have to go X, B, C, D to get some data on just well A and, and, and it's, it's, it's been challenging so we're building our own data set uh, with all the information that we have been able to collect from U.S. and Mexico side, and particularly Texas, right? And 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 to be able to share that with people that are, you know, we need data. We we can't produce anything without data. So as limited as it is, and 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 as you know, as with our reservations of the quality of the data, is what we have so far. So we are building the data set and we are sharing that data set on our portal. I don't know if you have been able to, to, to you know, look into that. It's transboundary.tamu.edu. So, so, so that again, so where, where I, you know, get that. Transboundary.tamu, T-A-M-U.edu. That's our, our transboundary water portal. I mean, if you Google transboundary water portal, it should just show up okay. there okay and, and 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 that's our data portal that we put it there just to set the example in a way that okay we know how hard it is to convince people to share data across we know how hard it is to get the data we know that it's not the best data but we want to set the example but here it is for you because we can't do everything and and we need somebody else to say hey you're doing this wrong because I have this all, you know, other data here. Let's work together and, and don't start everything from scratch because it's 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 very hard. It's it's and it's a huge responsibility. And and, and we need to, to to be able to get more people involved in this topic and more scientists interested, more colleagues on the Mexico side and in and the US side of course to, to get this and, and the data with that we have been able to collect from both sides is there, it's available, it's publicly accessible and it, and it's and that portal is 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 pretty interesting because we develop it in a way to commit people to share data as well so the people that are our users the users of the water portal are they are not given access unless they share data first so the only requisite that, that we request on that portal is okay you're going to get ex, uh, access to all the data that we have but first, you need to share some of what you have. So it doesn't have to be like huge data sets or whatever. We don't we don't request that. It's just share something, and and, and they sometimes they just share something that is already publicly right, mm-hmm. <laughs> publicly available. And you know, it's okay for us. You know, we're this is an exercise. You know, for both countries, like start sharing whatever right. it is, just start sharing, and then it's okay. We're gonna, you know, it's it's for us. It's okay. I mean, I like, I kind of like to think that we're not gonna hold that information because that's the key problem. That's what this is about. We are not sharing anything, not even you know points of view or perspectives or anything on on, on this topic. So we need to start talking. Just talk about it and, and get it and have access. And, and you can use all your the data that we have. We don't care uh, as long as you produce something with it that is going to help somebody to make a decision in the future, right? Right. That's what we're here for. I mean, if we don't like to produce science for us or, you know, for just the published thing. I mean, we need to spread more. We need to share what we have and and and. and and be able to do something with this because it's it's really a, a big issue. It's, it is a big issue. So, a few final questions here before we wrap up. Uh, I'm going to put two of them together here. Uh, of course, uh, Mexico has uh, a relatively new administration, um, uh, President Obrador. Uh, and of course, uh, the United States has uh, got President Trump now. Have you have you seen any changes with regard to uh, the respective federal governments and transboundary offer issues uh, with the the new administrations? Uh, 
fear, like transboundary groundwater issues. But I can tell you some signs, some 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 events that can show us that we have we could have a good momentum, good political momentum. A couple of months ago, there was the first transboundary groundwater summit organized by IBWC SILA. This is the first time that happened. It was this year. So everybody, you know, that is working on, on, on this, on the border, all my colleagues, the same as always, we were all there, of course. This, this was in El Paso? And, and they, yes, it happened in El Paso. Yeah, this was, by, uh, this was in April, actually. It was in April. So we all were there, and everybody wanted to talk about that. Uh, from the Mexico side and, 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 and the U.S. side, the commissioners were there, the commitment was there, and, and, and at the end we decided to follow up. It, it, politically speaking, or, you know, we didn't agree on anything, uh, we didn't expect that, of course, it's too early, but at least there's the interest. There's a, the, the interest that something needs to be done, we don't know when, how, or, or, or what, but, but that was the first sign. So that's a good sign from both governments. Uh, another sign under the new president of Mexico and the new director of CONAWA, the National Water Commission, uh, probably the new line is transparency in terms of data. So I have been able to access data that, was, that I was not able to access before because they had it hidden somewhere. And now it's publicly available on site. On, on. It, it is not necessarily related to the topic groundwater resources, but it's a good sign. We need transparency, right? And right. we need data sharing for this. So that's a good sign, I would say. I haven't heard anything um, particularly you know, specifically on transboundary groundwater resources. I think it's too early. Um, I don't know if they will ever get into that because there are a lot of other issues in Mexico. And, you know, I'm sure you know about those. So, and some other priorities, insecurity and all that stuff. And, and, and surface water and, and, and scarcity and, and, you know, all that. I don't think they're going to be able to get to the border. They are concentrating more on immigration issues right now and consular and, you know, diplomatic relationships and protecting Mexicans on the U.S. side and all that. There, there has been changes related to that. I think he, he wants to focus on people right now, uh, not necessarily to the resources, natural resources. Um, which is not bad. I mean, I know there are priorities. Uh, it's just that how much time do you think we got, right? Right. Uh, for this. So, some signs, some good signs. Not enough. Well. On the, on, the, on the U.S. side, President Trump, the only thing that he has been able to say related to the border or water is that he wanted to revisit the 1944 treaty. I mean, I, I don't know how he plans to do that. That's the Congress thing. Um, and the other, and it's not a bad idea, by the way. Uh, uh, personally, I don't think it's a bad idea, but uh, nothing has happened because he, I mean, it's, 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 it's a treaty, right? And it's ratified by the Congress. Right. And, and the second is the wall. <laughs> And, and, and there are, there have been some, you know, uh, articles or documents related how that would actually impact or, or what resources in the border. And, and I, I honestly laugh about it every time that, that somebody asks me about that. It's like, seriously, are you going to be willing to give up the river to Mexico? <laughs> because where are you going to build the wall? Yeah. You have to build it at least a couple of miles in your territory. Yeah, I'm losing you there. It's going to move. Exactly. You're going to be willing to give up territory to Mexico? So, anyway, the, the, those are the only things that I have heard related to that. So, expecting more, of course. Right, right. So, I want to I close with this question. Uh, I had an interview uh, with Lena Salome earlier this year, who was a water mediation 
mediator for the United Nations for, for many years. And we were talking about how sometimes countries that have a hard time working together, that, war, that reaching some kind of agreement on water often kind of opens the door for further cooperation um, on a number of things. And I'm just curious, do you ever, do you, is, you think there's any possibility that, um, that more cooperation on water would be uh, a way to uh, uh, engender cooperation on a number of other things between the United States and Mexico? I mean, we've got issues about air quality and, and other things. Um, uh, any any thoughts about that? Definitely. The answer is definitely. Water helps. Water definitely helps. Uh, why? Because, you know, we all depend on that. So you're not willing to lose uh, when it comes to water. So you can't afford to lose when it comes to water. So what is the other option? You have to sit and negotiate, right? Because you can't afford to lose. So it's too risky. I mean, it's, it's, it's dependability. The dependability is that you can't do anything about it. it. Not even if you're rich or poor. If you have transbounded groundwater resources, you have to sit and negotiate. That there's no other way about it. So water helps people sit down and negotiate, not just about water, and sometimes Preferable, not water, but something else. And you negotiate not just water, you negotiate a couple of other things. Um, when the 1944 treaty was signed, back in the days between Mexico and the U.S., it was territory. It was water. It was the border. So... It was not just about water itself, and it is, and it's been, and it's been recognized as a very successful treaty. And IBWCC, the Commission, it's unique in the world, and they have been able to work together on 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 this because you're not willing or you can't afford to lose. And whatever happens in the other side when it comes to water, eventually it's going to impact your side. So it's it's. it's it's a win-win situation. It's always a win-win situation when it comes to water. So yes, I totally agree with her, and I totally disagree. The next war will be on water. I mean, I, I would say that's that's the other way around completely, at right. least from my personal perspective. Water is the element that's going to drive us together to right. sit and negotiate over whatever you want. If you have the element of water there, it's gonna help. Right. So you you probably are familiar with the research done at Oregon State looking at Oh yeah. Broader, right. Yes. Aaron, who's a friend of mine, and uh, you know, you, you just don't you see water disputes um, not leading to war. And uh, I think I think maybe what is true is that uh, you know, water conflict is maybe sometimes another thing between nations that adds to a whole list of things that might uh, be bothering them about the other nation. Um, but I don't think going to war for water specifically is, is, is very likely. No, I don't think so. It's too risky. It's just too, you're not willing to lose. You can't lose. What would you get into war with somebody that, that you have at least 1% chance of losing? You can't. You're not willing. I mean, as a government, I would never do that. I mean, and our wolf and our state has proven that over 2,000 years, right? Right. Back. I mean, we're it's, it's, are not that, you know, uh, you either you sit or you sit. And you can use water as a something else, you know, as a, to pressure, to, as a resource, as a weapon, but you're not going to risk to lose it. That's something else. Right. Right. Well, we're going to have to end it right there. We're uh, right at an hour. And Rosario, I want to thank you for coming on Talkless Water. Thank you.
thank you, Todd, for the invitation. It was a pleasure. Hopefully, I didn't get to carry it away. No, you did, no, no, you, you did. You, I can't help it. No, you did great. I knew you would, and you, and you did. So, this has been Talkless Water, the podcast associated with Texas Plus Water newsletter, which provides timely information on the spectrum of Texas water issues, including science, policy, and law. Texas Plus Water is published jointly by the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University, the Texas Water Journal, and the Texas Water Resources Institute at Texas A&M University. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusswater.org slash newsletter. My name is Todd Bottler, the host of Texas Plus Water. Let's talk water again soon.